Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts. It's found on page 1081. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. We're going to begin with verse 1, go through 41. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 41. Join with me and follow along as we read. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they... Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the lord comes the great magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the lord shall be saved men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth a man attested to you by god with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, 
or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. But all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Here ends the reading of the Holy Word. Let us pray. O Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a lot here. It only took us five minutes to get through the reading of the scripture. Now extrapolate that on to the sermon, right? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But there's a lot here. There's, this is the day of Pentecost. So all of this occurs in, in really a matter of, of hours on the day of Pentecost. Now, for us, we need to fully understand what Pentecost is and was during that time. Pentecost, it means the 50th day. It was, it was 50 days since the first Sunday of Passover. And Pentecost itself marked another festival for the Jewish people, uh, one in which they would bring the first of their harvest in. And so Jerusalem is packed with people for another festival, and the disciples have been praying and fasting for 10 days for this Holy Spirit that Jesus promised. Now for us as Christians, Pentecost doesn't mean the 50th day after the first Sunday in Passover, for our Lord Jesus Christ gathered with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed to celebrate a Passover feast with them. And it was there after that meal that he would then go out and pray and be arrested. The next day he would be tried and hung on a cross. He would die shedding his blood as an atonement for our sins. Three days later, he raised from the grave by God. Three days later being that first Sunday in Passover. So for us, Pentecost marks two things. It marks the 50th day after Jesus was raised from the dead. And it marks the indwelling, the pouring out of God's spirit upon his faithful followers. 
So oftentimes on Pentecost, when we celebrate it as a church, we celebrate with the colors of red and yellow and orange and white doves descending, signifying the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a day that we often call the birthday of the church. The day in which a movement began of the proclaiming of the gospel and people coming to faith. See, when Luke describes Pentecost, he says it's a day of salvation. For when he describes the Holy Spirit, he says it was like a rushing wind. It was as of fire that divided tongues on their heads. And then their speech such that everyone could understand. They even questioned, saying, are they not Galileans? Using it pejoratively. Are these not people from an uncultured land? How could they possibly know more than one language? See, he describes the, the spirit through wind and fire and speech. And after he talks about how the Holy Spirit came in the midst of this and people are out in the streets in Jerusalem Someone asked the question, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? And for us as Christians, we don't always have to turn to another book to understand this book. God gave us the entire word of God for us to interpret his own word. And, and scripture even says it's right to use for, for, for teaching and exhorting and encouraging one another. And it's also right to use to interpret itself. We don't have to turn to commentaries to understand what the Word of God says. We can simply read the Word of God and turn to other places to interpret. And so when, when he begins talking about this Holy Spirit and he talks about this rush of a mighty wind, this power that's involved with this wind, and we understand that the Holy Spirit comes with power. For Jesus himself had told the disciples at the end of the Gospel of Luke, he says these words... And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. When the disciples received the Holy Spirit, they received power from God. Power they had not previously had. Power that we received from the Holy Spirit on the day we come to faith in Christ. On our conversion day, our regeneration day, our new birth day. See, and then he says that the Holy Spirit came as of fire, divided tongues on their heads. Now we could turn back to the scripture we studied in Advent from Zephaniah and we can talk about the, the refining fire of God. Or we can turn to Isaiah even, the prophet who, who wrote a lot about the coming Messiah. And here in Isaiah chapter 6, he writes these words. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. This fire that the Holy Spirit comes brings purity. See these fire of divided tongues above their heads so that their speech would be pure in proclaiming the gospel going forward. And this speech in which the Holy Spirit brings that everyone can understand. If we remember from last week that Luke has 
three understandings about salvation, that it's prepared by God, it is bestowed by Jesus, and it is offered to all people. Speech and everybody being able to recognize it shows us once again how important it is for Luke to get across to Theophilus and the others that would read this, that salvation through Jesus Christ isn't merely for men of Jewish faith, but that it is going to the ends of the earth to all people and will be coming in your tongue so that you hear it. You don't have to interpret someone else. For by the power and the purity of the Holy Spirit, you will understand. And some, some will they just accuse them of being drunk. They must have had some of that new wine. Peter, in the very first sermon, he gets up and and. He has to address this understanding that they've been called drunks. And he says, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Now, y'all, in my three years that I've been here, I've never had to stand up and proclaim to the world that y'all aren't drunk. (laughs) So we haven't been confused with that yet. But as we continue to follow the Spirit, one day we will we will be mocked for it because wherever you see the Holy Spirit doing profound things, you will see at the same time a mockery from both religious and irreligious people seeing what's going on. When the Holy Spirit begins doing a work in someone's life and begins transforming them from old ways to new ways, the friends from the old ways stand around and say, you're acting crazy. What's gotten into you lately? Or when a church and a community begins receiving the power and the purity from the Holy Spirit that begins invigorating a community and they're coming alive, that these dry bones that were once dead are now alive, walking and proclaiming life and taking care of those less fortunate in their community. They'll say, what's gotten in to them? Ah, can't be real. There will always be mocking. And the Holy Spirit begins doing work. You see, on this day of Pentecost, the Spirit came down. It immersed them. There was a baptism of the Holy Spirit, one that Jesus himself had promised just earlier in Acts. He said, you will wait for as as we were baptized with water, the Father will come and baptize you with the Spirit. He will immerse you with the Spirit. It will cover you well within your heart and seal it in there, which for us happens at conversion. We don't have to wait for 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus because Peter tells us that the Holy Spirit is for those who come to faith, for us and for our sons and our daughters and for the generations to follow the Holy Spirit is the promise of God. It's with this power of the Holy Spirit, this purity of the gospel, that Peter, this coward Peter. See, if you understand the gospel story at all, Peter was the coward who in the courtyard denied Jesus. At that time, he didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit with him to stand up and say, yes, Jesus is the Christ and the Lord of my life. But now that he's received the Spirit in the midst of the same people who crucified Jesus, who were hunting for the apostles and wondering where they were as they stayed locked up waiting for the Spirit. Peter goes out in the streets among them all and declares, Jesus, Lord of all. 
unafraid of any consequences. Not that he overcame cowardice on his own, but that the power of the Spirit rested with him and gave him God's confidence. So Peter preaches. We get the first sermon ever recorded. Peter's sermon. And in fact, Luke tells us he doesn't even record all of it. He says he continued to taught, to teach them and exhort them, encourage them with more words than I recorded. But the part that he does record is Peter's gospel presentation to those who had never heard it before. And he does so four ways. He, he says, first, it's, there's two events. There's the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then he says that it's attested by two witnesses. Both the prophets in the Old Testament, they witness to the death and resurrection of the coming Messiah. And then we ourselves as apostles, we witnessed his death. You were there. You killed him. And we've witnessed his resurrection and ascension. And because of his death and resurrection, Jesus makes two promises, Peter tells us. Forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit for our lives. What does this mean, they ask? So Peter tells them. Peter tells them because of what Christ did. You are forgiven. Because of what Christ did, you receive power in your life. You receive Jesus who will never leave you or forsake you. says it's done on two conditions. Repentance of sins and baptism. See, at the end of his sermon, of his gospel presentation, they're pierced in their hearts. The Holy Spirit had gotten a hold of them. And they come up and say, brothers, and using this familiar language that they wouldn't have used before, because now they recognize them as brothers in the family of God, and said, brothers, what must we do now? And Peter exhorts to them, he teaches them, encourages them, you must repent of your sins and be baptized. Both which occur because we have been given faith in Jesus Christ. See, it's hard to repent from your sins if you don't have God to turn to. And if you get baptized without believing in God, well, then you're just getting wet. So Peter preaches, and people respond without an altar call. Without an altar call, without a pastor up here pleading and saying, please come forward. And here, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit just sent 3,000 forward. That's a 26 times multiplier on the number of believers that were gathered before that. There were 120. And Peter preaches. And the Holy Spirit makes 3,120 believers on that day. That's a long baptism celebration to begin baptizing 3,000 people at 9 a.m. And you know, Peter probably didn't keep his sermon to 15 minutes or less. <laughs> Even Luke says, and he said a bunch of other words, meaning he went on and on and on and on. <laughs> Repentance and baptism. Well, how do we respond to the gospel? Through repentance and baptism. See, this is where I wanted to get us today, was 
to this moment of repentance and baptism. It's a, it's a moment that when we look forward in this sanctuary every Sunday, we are reminded of those two responses. Where we have the table, the Lord's table here before us, which we're reminded of his sacrifice, his atoning work on the cross. And as we eat of this bread and we drink from this cup, we do so in remembrance of him, but in which Paul gives us instructions to examine ourselves. As we see this table and what Christ has done for us, we come full of faith, repenting of our sins, not fearful of judgment, but in gratitude because what Christ offers us is forgiveness. And then we have lit up the baptistry or through the window, God's big baptistry of the Atlantic Ocean, in which we see this purifying water that cleanses us, in which we go down into and come back out, a new creation, dead to the old, alive in Christ. See, baptism and the Lord's Supper are two ordinances or sacraments that we hold high in this church. And baptism, while we don't do it every Sunday, when someone confesses Christ, we're ready to go. Even if the water is cold, we'll go. But baptism isn't something that simply started on this day of Pentecost. Baptism started in the Gospel of Mark. It started with John the Baptist. See, it started before Jesus was even doing public ministry, for he was out in the wilderness proclaiming that there's one to come, and I'm going to baptize you in this water for forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist had been sent knowing that through baptism, through this work that God has given us, we are cleansed and made right with God. And Jesus understands this as well. And right here in Mark, it shows up. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. And if it is so for Jesus, it is so for us. That it is when we are baptized that then the Holy Spirit dwell, is sent down and dwells among us according to Scripture. While our hearts have been pierced by the Spirit and we may be given faith in the opportunity to choose Jesus then at that time because we have been softened and made right. That we are still called to repentance of sins and still called into baptism so that we may receive the Holy Spirit according to the word of God. And so Jesus was baptized. And then he received the spirit. And then he heard those words from God. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. And we know this from the gospel. That because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection. When God sees us. He sees his son. And so when we are baptized and we come out of the water. We too hear God tell us. This is my son. This is my daughter whom I am well pleased. Later in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John, we see that 
baptism is still a very much a part of the ministry of Jesus and the apostles. And he and it says this in chapter four. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. See, the disciples continued this ritual, this sacrament of baptism because it was important, because it signified the forgiveness of sins and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And then Jesus, right before he ascends, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we call it the Great Commission. It's what he tells us to go out and do. We can recite it from memory from the time we're a young buck in Sunday school that we are to go out to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded them, knowing that I will not leave you till the end of the age. Baptism. If you've been baptized, I urge you to recall your baptism. For some of you, it may have been when you were an infant, and so go through understanding your confirmation process. See, we have a distinctive here at First Christian Church of the Beaches. We believe in a believer's baptism. That is, we wait until you are of age and can repent of your sins and understand the gospel that then we go and according to the Greek word for baptism, we immerse you under the water. Now, while we hold that as our practice and our belief, we also know God is sovereign and Jesus is Lord, and so we affirm all other forms of baptism as well. Not saying one is better than the other. For that would make us Judaizers. But see, baptism, baptism symbolizes death to the old, unbelieving ways and the coming alive of a new person who trusts and obeys Jesus. And it makes me remember In November 2012, friends Sherry and Chad have been fostering a little girl named Kai for just over a year. They never had children of their own, and they had fostered other children as well. But this day was unlike other days. This day we gathered together at the Johnson County Courthouse, and we prayed together. And then before the judge, they took an oath. And then, with the slamming of a gavel, we celebrated. Because she had been adopted, their daughter. We don't hear a slamming of a gavel when we come up out of the water. But we hear the cheers from our new family. That we have been adopted sons and daughters of the God Most High. We are no longer children of wrath, but children of God, his beloved. And that just as Jesus was buried and raised again, we too enter the waters buried and raised to new life in Christ. So that we may receive the Holy Spirit and go out into the world with power and purity to speak the gospel into other people's lives. Amen.